What's going on, coaches? It is March 1st, and you're tuned in to Keep Your Pads Down, the podcast for the men in the trenches. We're coming at you from the northeast corner of the great state of Texas, and this is episode number 95. Now, before we jump into our conversation with today's guest, I want to share some exciting news that we've been teasing out the last couple of weeks. As many of you guys know, we are honored to be partnering this season with our coaching network. Our coaching network is a new football coaching platform connecting coaches from all levels and helping them get better every week. Our coaching network has live clinics Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights, and we'll have 150 plus hours of high quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred to at any time in the future. Now, here's the exciting part. On Saturday, March 27th, this podcast, keep your pads down, is teaming up with our coaching network to put on a virtual defensive line clinic with not one, not two, not three, but five, count them, five defensive line coaches presenting on various aspects of defensive line play. Now, that is big time. We have an unbelievable lineup of coaches who are going to be bringing the heat on that day, and we are finally ready to reveal who those guys will be. And we'll be dropping that tonight on our Twitter feed. So if you're not following us already, do so at KYPD Podcast and keep an eye on our newsfeed for that white hot lineup of coaches who are going to be presenting for our D-line clinic on Saturday, March 27th. In the meantime, how can you get in on this clinic? Well, if you're already a member of our coaching network, then the clinic is free, F-R-E-E. And even if you can't catch all five presenters, the entire clinic will be available to you in the website's library for you to check out at your earliest convenience. If you haven't signed up with our coaching network yet, do it right now. So if you're listening on Monday, March 1st, you have about roughly another 24 hours where there is a flash sale going on. For the next, uh, like I said, about 24 hours, you can sign up for the entire year for just 60 bucks, which includes weekly clinics, coaching library, networking events, and more. So sign up right now. You can do that via the link in the show notes of today's episode. You can also find that link uh, again, on our Twitter feed as well. Look, we all know how much of a hassle an in-person coaching clinic can be, right? I mean, they're expensive. They usually kill a whole weekend. And you end up having to share a lousy hotel room with your O-line coach who has sleep apnea just to hear maybe one or two speakers talking on something that you'll actually use. This clinic is much more cost-effective. It's all about D-line play, and you can log in in your underwear. Again, check out the link in today's show notes and sign up and make plans to be a part of this awesome clinic on Saturday, March 27th with our coaching network. You guys who follow us on Twitter have probably noticed the graphics we've been putting out each week to advertise our episodes. Well, those were all created by yours truly through our sponsor, GoEdit Graphics. So what GoEdit Graphics does is allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. The platform is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. So even if you're the coach who has no sense of style and ordered everyone on your staff those horrendous-looking coaching shirts this past season, <laughs> even you can still create awesome-looking graphics with GoEdit. Seriously, coaches, GoEdit Graphics is a great way to showcase all of your sports and athletes. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Now, here's something cool that GoEdit is doing for KYPD listeners. Mention Keep Your Pads Down and receive $25 off your Showcase yearly package. 
Go check them out on Twitter at GoEditGraphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see examples of the awesome graphics that coaches have already created. Okay, so I know I say this every week, but we have a great episode lined up for you today and one that will be like no other as we kick off our series of episodes that we're calling our fourth and one episodes. And the reason why we're calling these our, our, our fourth and one episodes is because, you know, in these episodes, we're going to be talking with guests who have been in those difficult situations, who have faced serious adversity. And we're going to hear how they came out of that. You know, and for defensive coaches, fourth and one is not a situation we want to be in. It's a moment in the game when we are at, as a defense, are at a distinct disadvantage. And, and it's going to require something special for us as a defense to be successful in that situation. And, and, you know, no matter who we are, we all find ourselves in fourth and one situations in our lives as well. And we're going to hear from a guest today who has lived through his share of dysfunction and disappointment, but through a powerful faith and the prayers and support of those around him, is someone who has experienced a powerful restoration in his life as well. Today, I'm really excited to be talking with Al Robertson. Now, Al is, of course, the eldest son of Phil and Kay Robertson, helped start the family business, Duck Commander, and actually left there in the late 80s to serve as a pastor for 22 years at the Whites Ferry Road Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. He went back to Duck Commander in 2012 to begin appearing on the Robertsons TV show. You might have heard of it, Duck Dynasty on A&E, which ended in 2017 after 11 seasons and 131 episodes. Al has authored and co-authored five books and speaks around the country about the reasons behind the success of the show, and the Robertson values of faith, family, and ducks. Alan and his wife, Lisa, live in West Monroe, Louisiana, have been married for over 32 years, and have two married daughters and six grandchildren. They have co-authored two books, A New Season About Their Life and Marriage, and The Duck Commander Devotional for Couples. And they travel all over America sharing their story of brokenness, restoration, and healing in their marriage. They are currently speaking together around the country and writing their third book about desperate forgiveness. Currently, Al co-owns a production company that produces his dad's show on Blaze TV entitled In the Woods with Phil, as well as three podcasts, Unashamed with Phil and Jace Robertson, which Al also hosts, The Duck Call Room with Uncle Cy, Martin, and Godwin, the guys from Duck Dynasty, and his niece Sadie's podcast, Live Original. Today, Al and I talk about a childhood that was far from ideal, that led into some dark days for him as a teenager, and, and how he made it through those times with the help of his parents and other influential people around him. Al discusses the importance of owning mistakes, being transparent about our struggles in order to better to relate to our own kids and those we coach as well. We also get into talking about how Duck Dynasty impacted the Robertson family, Al's wildly popular podcast, Unashamed, that he does with his dad, Phil, and brother, Jace. And then we close out talking about Al's favorite football teams, the LSU Tigers, and the Dallas Cowboys. Look, today's episode is for everyone. And if you're already a fan of the Robertsons, then I think you're going to be even more so after our conversation today. And if you're unfamiliar with Al's story and the story of his family, then lean in close and listen to how perhaps the struggles he has endured in his life can help you through yours. So with that, let's get to it. Here is episode number 95 with Al Robertson on Keep Your Pads Down.
Okay, Al. Well, uh, first, I want to tell you that it's a real honor to have you join us today. This is an episode of First for Us. Uh, you're the first pastor we've had on the podcast, uh, first TV personality. And, you know, while you're not the first person we've had on here from West Monroe, you're definitely the most interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have your brother on here? Is yeah, yeah, I- yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a, uh, a definite shot at him. Uh, well, your talk is moving way up, Ty. I can tell you that right now because you know having having me uh, above uh, Grant. So that's, that's <laughs> well, was, that was look that was back in the uh, middle of the quarantine where I was really hurting for content, and so <laughs> um, he stepped in. Now that's not a shot at I don't know if you know Coach uh, Jeff Fitzgerald over at uh, at is it at Wachita High School, um, oh. but anyway he he's been on, so that's not a shot at him because um, I you know I, I don't want him mad at me, but anyway. Uh, we're glad to have you and glad to be talking with you today. I am glad to be here, bud. Well, okay, so we're doing something uh, different today. This is the first episode in a series of episodes. And, you know, for defensive football coaches, you know, fourth and one is is not a situation that we want to be in. Uh, it means our backs are against the wall. Uh, you know, we're facing difficult situations. And so today we're going to be talking about um, overcoming adversity and just trials in life, something you know, I'm so, something I'm sure you know very little about. <laughs> well, I know a little bit about it. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny because I've always thought that um, pastors and, and football coaches uh, had a lot of similarities in the sense of their job. You know, you're trying to motivate people, you know, to, to succeed and find success. You're trying to basically, you know, keep your base, you know, excited about what you're trying to do and you're you're under a microscope a lot of times and you know it, it's you you have a few bad Sundays it's like having a few bad Fridays and all of a sudden you know people start uh, yelling for you to, to to pack your bag so I've always thought there was a lot of you know a lot of connection with that and we've had some different guys through the years uh, that coached in, in area schools you mentioned Washtenaw we've had some guys from there West Monroe of course which is just up the street from where we meet and uh, you know it's been it's been neat to be able to to be a part of that. And you know, I, in terms of football, I, you know, I, I love high school football because to me, or high school athletics, or keep it still at that pure level of what sports really should be about. We start moving up, you start getting into all sorts of other things. So I admire what you guys do, and so I'm glad to be on your podcast. Well, you're right. It is. Uh, it is. There are a lot of similarities there because I I know it in in talking with preacher friends of mine you know, that you start out on, so you preach your sermon on Sunday and you start out on Monday, the whole process starts over again, right? Like, you know, you start getting your thoughts together and you start pulling things in and you're, you know, and, and then all, there's all this buildup to Sunday. And, you know, when you finally sort of birth this thing and it's either, you know, sometimes it's met with, with a positive um, reaction and sometimes not. And that's very similar to a, to, to a game plan, you know, coaches meet on Sundays usually and they kind of start watching film and getting some things together and all week they're putting that together. And then, you know, here it comes to fruition on Friday night. And then the next day the process starts all over again. And well, I think one of the greatest, greatest lessons I learned in ministry was somewhere along the way out of, you know, doing it for now 30 years is that I, I realized that I was never as good as some people thought I was. And I was never as bad as other people thought I was. I just had a job to do. And so I'm sure like you guys, if you had this man, the greatest sermon you ever preached, it was just this fantastic Sunday and people were excited. Everybody's talking about you're the greatest ever. And then my thought process was, I got to do it again next week. 
And like you said, I just started into that. So I, so I, I decided somewhere along the way that I wouldn't let praise or criticism stick to me. Yeah, you know, I kind of had like a 24 hour rule that, you know, I, I either lamented because it didn't go well or I was excited that it did. But come Monday, you know, I, I'm back in the I'm back into doing what I got to do for the next summer. Yeah, that's great advice. It is it, it, for coaches as well, for sure. Well, let, let's jump in and, and talk uh, a little bit about uh, about just you growing up and 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 uh, with you just giving us a little bit of a glimpse of into what your childhood was like uh, growing up there. In North Louisiana, of course, your dad is is uh, is Phil Robertson, uh, and 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 so tell us a little bit about that. Well, ironically, Ty, you know my my life, I was literally born into football <laughs> because uh, mom got pregnant with me. She was sixteen, and dad was eighteen, and uh, this would have been the spring of nineteen sixty four. And so he had just signed a letter of intent to play football at Louisiana Tech University, which is in Ruston, which is about 30 miles from where we are on Weston Road. And um, so, you know, they moved there together. Uh, it would be a little while before they got married. They had what they called a pioneer wedding is what mom calls it. Uh, but, you know, they were so young. And so mom basically sat out her senior year of high school to have me. And then wound up going when I was my first year of life to Ruston High School and graduated from there. And so dad's playing football at Tech. So literally, you know, I grew up in couple housing, uh, football players around the house. Of course, everybody pretty much knows by now that Terry Bradshaw was dad's backup uh, for the first couple of years uh, that he played football at Tech. And then later dad quit, didn't play a senior year, and Bradshaw played his last two years as a starter. Wound up being the number one pick in the draft, you know, in 1970 maybe or so it's pretty amazing. And I can I still have memories because I was four years old and five because dad got his master's before we left there. And so I remember Bradshaw being over at the house, you know, and, and they were, you know, they were pals and teammates. And so I literally grew up around that. And, uh, you know, and at first it was really cool. I mean, it was really neat because you know, had all these athletes coming by and, you, had, you know, they tell stories about bringing me milk from the commissary and all this stuff, you know, because they, they kind of helped raise me. Right. I mean, you know, when I look back at it, mom and dad, when I were 19 and 17, when I was born and I was raised by teenagers, you know, so it's a wonder that I'm still here. I, I marvel that they did it, you know, with that community they had, but it didn't stay great for long because dad, of course, was a young, you know, college athlete and began to run around with other teammates and do things. And all of a sudden having a family became a bit of a drag. And so he kind of went further off, you know, into the deep end post-college. And so by, by the time the early 70s rolled around and it was me and Jason Willie, and they were just, they were little, uh, our life was tough. I mean, yeah, it was a non-Christian home, um, you know, very little that was good that happened there. Dad was not an abusive type of person. He just wasn't around. Mm-hmm. And so I would kind of, mom had to depend on me. And so I really kind of, the way she describes it is I kind of lost my childhood, basically having to take care of my brothers, you know, and so. I didn't get to play a lot of sports, you know, when I was young or play baseball like the other kids were doing because, you know, I was looking out for my brothers. Now, at the time, I didn't like it just felt like what I was supposed to do. So it's not like I sat around moping. You know, I just did what I had to. And so that was like the first 10 years of my life. I had some anger issues, I think, with dad just because the way he treated mom and uh, and really wouldn't realize that until later in life. But at first, you know, that was really tough. And then Mom, you know, became a Christian and it just changed our entire trajectory and our entire path because that opened the door for then dad to become a Christian. And so 
he was one of those kind of guys that he was always super dynamic. He was always good at everything. Obviously hunting, as most people know him by that, you know, but he was good at everything. So I was a good athlete. And so men, and especially young men were drawn to him. And so my aunt used to say, if he can ever get it on straight, if he can ever get lined out, he is going to do amazing things. And, and he has, I mean, it's really pretty incredible his life that he lived. And so he, I always say my dad went from the biggest heathen in, in South Arkansas and North Louisiana to John the Baptist overnight. It was just like yeah. that. And, yeah. uh, and he led a lot of people, which is pretty powerful. Well, you mentioned some of those things there, you know, kind of missing out on, on, on a normal childhood. Uh, what was your relationship like with sports as a kid was, you know, especially with your dad being, you know, playing football and that sort of thing. Was that something that you guys grew up doing or how did that work? You know, we were all athletic, and so we were very competitive. Uh, and and once once he became a Christian and we moved to West Monroe, I got involved in organized sports. And then, of course, Willie and Jace did their whole life because, you know, our life kind of took a better turn. But Dad, actually, when he we first moved to West Monroe, um, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. I mean, he, he was a new Christian. And so all he ever really knew was athletics, you know, and he had a master's degree as well. And so all he knew was education. So he actually was a teacher and a coach for the first two years that we were in West Monroe. And ironically, it's the same school that my grandkids, my grandkids go to now that started when we moved there. And dad was there the first couple of years the school started is, is Washington Christian School is what it's called. They've had a very successful athletics. It's obviously a small school, but they've done very well through the years. And so we were part of the early foundation of that until dad decided to start a duck call business. And of course, if, once he wasn't coaching and teaching, we couldn't go there. But if we'd been able to stay there, I think I, that all of us would have probably been able to do pretty well athletic-wise. We just, we never had any size. And uh, we were all athletic and, and tough, but we didn't have any size. And so most of us got bigger, older, you know, once we were kind of past that. So once we got the public school system, you know, athletics and sort of organized just kind of, you know, went by the board for most of us. I, Willie played until he was a, in high school in basketball, but he was really just a block and dummy type. You know, he, just, <laughs> he never got to play. It was like somebody has one of my kids is one of my daughters played soccer at Oceary, you know, and it's like 20 degrees. Yeah. You know, other people's kids. Play soccer. Yeah. But, but we were very, we love sports. We love watching sports. You know, I kind of became um, football aware uh, in the, er, in the probably early seventies. And so it was kind of ironic because from a national level, I mean, the Saints were terrible. You know, they had been terrible for right. So there were a lot of Saints fans, but they were so long suffering. And so as a kid, you know, you don't want to follow a team that loses every year. And so it, it kind of came down to choosing between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Dallas Cowboys because, you know, they had some good matchups there in the 70s, a couple of Super Bowls. And so uh, I went with the Cowboys because Bradshaw, you would think it would be Bradshaw because we knew him, but, you know, they were real competitive. And like Bradshaw's first book about dad or first book about his life included, you know, some stuff about when he was at tech and it kind of, it kind of offended dad at that time. I mean, he's a young man. I think now he knows it'd be true, but stuff he was saying was like, you know, he wasn't really serious about football. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't beat him out, but he didn't care about the game and he cared more about squirrels and ducks and that kind of thing. And it was all true. Yeah. But at the time, you know, when they're young and competitive, I think dad kind of, yeah. you know, I think he got his dander up a little bit. So so Bradshaw was kind of on the downscale in our house. And so I wound up going with Stallback and the Cowboys. But it turned out to be a good choice because I've been a lifelong Cowboy fan. Too. 
Yeah, we're going to talk about those Cowboys towards the end of our conversation today. There's a lot we could spend a whole we could spend three or four podcast episodes talking about the Cowboys, and uh, you know, some might say that 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 fan base has been long suffering since uh, since the early '90s. But I want to go, you know, talk about your four brothers. You got you, and then and and Jace and Willie and Jep. Uh, are you guys pretty competitive with each other? And were you as kids? And are you still today? Yeah, we were. And, uh, of course, Willie and Jace are the closest in age. There's four years difference between me and Jace, and there's seven years between me and Willie. So, you know how it is, the, the big brother. I mean, they never really got to the point where they could really beat me. You know, they would have they passed me. It, it wouldn't have been long. Yeah. So, I was kind of dominant, you know, on the basketball court or whatever we were doing in the baseball field. But those two were very close. So, they were – there was it, almost every game we played ended in a fight. You know, and it's usually between the two of them. Yeah. Now, yeah, he's 14 years younger. So I spent most of my life just trying to protect him when they didn't kill him, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but we were all good athletes. Jeff actually was at OCS and he played, he played basketball there all the way through. And, uh, but none of us really ever played football, which is kind of ironic. But I, I remember the first year I went to Westman Oak and uh, I think it was Maxie Lambright, who was an old coach at Tech, his son in law. Uh, coached at Washita, and then he came over to Westland Ohio High School. I think he did some he coached in college too. But he was the coach at Westland Ohio then, and they were terrible. This is they didn't get good until the last twenty years. And um, so he, he somebody told him that Phil Robertson's son was at Westland Ohio High School. So that somebody came and some coach came and found me like in class, a PE class. Yeah, I remember they took me down to the coaches. I was and I went. And I was like I was little. You know, I was just wasn't very big. And so they were like, because they thought, well, maybe he's got the DNA because he was aware of how good dad was, you know. So they asked me, you know, they tried to kind of tell me, what do you think about playing football? And then they looked at me and they're like, eh, all right, we'll see you later. Head on back to class. So <laughs> it, was like, it was like I had my one little shot there. Something. They took a look and said, I don't think this kid's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to imagine, like you said, that, that um, you know, things, you know, with, with four boys, that things could get competitive. Uh, what do you guys get in, get into today? Is it is it on the golf course? Is that where most of the uh, competitive juices flow? Yeah, it you know for a long time we we had a lot of uh, I organized for years a lot of church athletics and a lot yeah. of guys played. Of course, my brothers always played, and I did too until my knee just finally gave out on me. But so we played like we had a touch football league. We did on Wednesday nights at the church. We had a volleyball league. We did on Sunday nights. We organized it through house churches and. I mean, because we were all young, you know, we had this young, a lot of young people. And so we stayed after it hard against each other, even as adults. Uh, but then, yeah, it moved to the golf course. And at one time, we were all four, you know, very competitive. We were decent. I was playing a lot more golf and, you know, was, was practicing a lot more. And then as time has, the ravages of time have come <laughs> along, <laughs> as well as being super busy, you know, having a TV show and podcast and all that stuff. Uh, we just don't get to play as much. Uh, Jace is probably the best golfer for the last probably three or four years because he plays the most. You know, he he doesn't. You know, he does he does stock market golf and poker. That's what he likes to do, and so that's pretty. And now he now he does a podcast. But uh, Willie's been Willie was always the longest hitter in golf, and so you know everybody kind of had their thing. I had the best short game. Willie's the best driver. Um, Jeff has the the most beautiful swing of the course. He has a nice swing, but he just again he doesn't play enough to do it. So. Right. Right. We usually have one week a year. We come down here. I, I'm coming to you from our, I'm calling it our Southern command post, a Southern lair down here in Gulf Shores. At least I bought a place down here. So we come down here every summer. And for a week, we usually play every day just till our backs wear out. And usually 27 holes every day. 
And it's kind of like the old days. I mean, the golf is not as good, but the competition is, is every bit as much. And, you know, it may be playing for, it winds up being, you won three or $4, but it's like you won three or 4,000, you know, the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Having a couple of brothers myself, I know all about that and being competitive and, and uh, you know, we, we had many of um, driveway basketball games or, or, or touch football games that, that ended in, in uh in a scuffle or or you know someone uh having a bloody nose or something like that well you know like i mentioned at the top of this we're talking about overcoming adversity today you know and there are a lot of coaches listening to this uh many of whom have you know had difficult seasons maybe they've been fired uh lost loved ones in the middle of the season you know dealing with with kids parents booster clubs communities you know not to mention the challenges that uh that, that covid has has presented Looking at your family and seeing them on TV, you know, hearing your dad speak now, I've, I've, I've heard him speak uh, several times. Uh, people might assume that your life was pretty much smooth sailing from day one. And, and as you already mentioned uh, from your childhood, it, it, it wasn't. So talk about, let's go back to, to those days as a kid. You know, how did that affect you as you grew up into a teenager and even an adult? Well, a couple of things on that. One is whenever I speak to audiences, and I get a lot of opportunities to speak around the country, because of the show and because of obviously our family, um, I, I show two pictures usually when I start. And the first picture is a picture uh, from 2017. The last time we filmed the show, it was uh, at Willie's house. And, and there's kind of a regal picture. It's almost like a rectangle of our family. Everybody's there together. And, and we had just wrapped the very last scene we would ever film for Doug Dynasty. And so it was, it was one where it was like going back and looking at episodes and kind of, you know, kind of like series do when they shut down. And so somebody on the crew snapped this shot and it's just a great shot because it just shows everything. And so you got four generations of faith represented in this room. And, and it was all the things that people loved about the show. And so I love showing that picture and I'm talking about us and talking about how people feel about us. And so I'm usually looking at this audience of people and they're like nodding. Yeah, that's right. We love the Robertsons. Man, we love their faith and the fact they'll stand up for you know what they believe in. And then I, I love to pop in the next picture. And it was a picture of dad and mom and she's pregnant with Willie and then Jace is there and he's about, you know, not quite three. And there I am and I'm about seven, six or seven in this picture. And we got our little bowl haircuts, you know, that dad used to just literally bowl us off. And dad has no beard, uh, you know. And you look at this family, and I said, now this was us in 1972. And this family was in severe crisis. I mean, like we were at the edge of losing everything. And not long after that picture was taken, mom and dad would split up for a while before they got back together. And so I always tell people in an audience, and it'll be the same thing to your audience, Todd, that. You know, there are times in all of our lives where we just get in a place where it's really difficult. And it could be in our marriage. It could be in some family situation. It could be some kid. You, you guys are in a lot of families' lives where something happens and it's tragic. And you look at that and you think, man, how will we ever get past this? How will things ever get better? You know, where can I find some hope in this situation? But then I go back to an audience with those two pictures. And I think the, the, the 2017 family that you see the 72 family had no idea that this family could even exist, that, that there would be this heritage of faith, that there would be four sons still married to their original wives. But this family was just trying to make it day by day. But ultimately, they did. And so the thing about it is you have to figure out a way to plow through where you are. 
to get to someplace better. And I've always thought that faith, just faith in yourself, or, or of course, faith in God, is being able to look past the greatest challenges in your life and to see some possibility that things are going to be better and things are going to be, you know, are going to be impactful. And so that's sort of what happened with our family at large. Now, what I did tell you a minute ago is once I got, when our family got, man, things got rolling and man, dad's doing great. We're in a great church. We're the same church that I pastored my whole life. You know, we were there. Things were great. I was involved in the youth group, but you know, like a lot of teenage kids, like a lot of kids you deal with, I'm sure every day, I just took the wrong path. You know, I just in, internally, I had everything right on the outside and the external, but internally, I just was going dark. And I would rather go out and party and drink and smoke pot and do all these things. And I was doing all that as a double secret agent at church because I was in the youth group. I was active. I was involved. And I realized then, I told you earlier, I had some resentment toward that. I realized then there was just a lot of stuff that I had never really dealt with. In my life. And so I was turning to all the wrong things instead of turning to something better. I didn't, I didn't want to go to my parents either. So I was just kept this secret lifestyle going. And until eventually it got to the point where you, it doesn't stay secret. I mean, you start doing, you start pulling stun after stun. And it, and I was out there. And so I never forget it. My dad I was 17 years old. I just graduated high school and I was about to go to college the next year. Maybe I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was just thinking Friday to Friday. And dad sat me down and he was like, Al, you know, I love you. I mean, you, you saw the life I live. You saw the way I treated your mama. You can't live this way. You've got to either change and, and get back with the program and do the right thing, or you got to hit the road and get out there and do whatever you're going to do. And I won't be praying that nothing bad happens to you when you do. I want you to stay, but you can't stay living the way you live now. And I think internally, that really just made me mad. I mean, it pissed me off because I was like, who are you to tell me, you know? Right. That's what I felt inside. But looking back on it all these years later, it, it, I, I'm so touched by it because he was at a desperate end. There was no more discipline that was going to work. There was no more taking this away or whatever. I mean, like I had to make a life choice and I was only 17 but, and it was a big moment. So, of course, I chose to leave because you know I was prideful and arrogant and thought I knew everything because I was 17 years old. Took off to New Orleans, lived down there about a year, about, about died on several occasions until I was like that, you know, prodigal son of Luke 15. Yeah. I came to my senses and, you know, I, I looked around and thought, you know what, I'm in a pig pit. And it was pretty good back at the house. And I still remember back that conversation that I'd had with me a year ago. And so I put my tail between my legs and got in my car and drove back to West Monroe. But, you know, mom and dad met me just like that story and just welcomed me in. And so I think that's another life lesson for anybody that, you know, you, you, sometimes you get where people are out there and you think, hey, will they ever come back? But don't give up on it, you know, because anybody has the capacity to get it right. Right. And even if they've been out there for a while and whatever they're into or some kind of problem, uh, don't give up on, them, you know, because they didn't give up on me and it changed my life. So when I came back when I was 18, you know, I got on the straight and narrow and I've been there ever since, you know, not perfect. Of course, I had a lot of adversity. At least I had a lot of things in our marriage we had to deal with. But ultimately, I understood that I don't give up on people. And so all the years I pastored our church, my mindset was I want to create a, an atmosphere where people feel like you're coming home. And that made me that's anybody. And uh, our, our motto is at our church. We love everybody and, and we don't turn anybody away. And they didn't turn me away. So. Yeah. So I want to go back to that conversation your dad had with you as a 17-year-old kid, because 
I can imagine that every coach listening to this is nodding their head because they've either been that 17 year old kid or they've been in that room with that 17 year old kid, basically telling them, Hey, you either got to get right or you got to get out. How would it have been different for you if he would have uh, not given you that choice, but instead tried to force you to change or tried to, you know, basically strong arm you into changing, or if you just would have said, Hey, you're cut off for, for good. So let's go with the first one. Like, how would you respond? Do you think if you would have just tried to force a change upon you? Well, it, you know, it wouldn't have worked for the same reason it didn't work for him for 10 years. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was uh, uh, cut from his cloth. Dad was a prodigal son for, you know, from 18 to 28. So, so it wouldn't have worked because ultimately those clashes would have continued or I would have just gotten better at hiding things. So, you know, I wasn't going to get there until I was ready to get there. And I think that's one of the hardest things for people, obviously for yeah. parents, yeah. Other people, is to realize that this is a volunteer army to do what's right. And so yeah. you can't force that on other people and as much as you want to. Now, you can give them choices and consequences because if you're going to, you know, if you're going to do this, you're not be able to participate in what we're doing. Right. And that's exactly what I got. And so I think it was wise on dad's part because he 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 had to have let me own who I was. Right. And at the time it wasn't a good person. And so I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure they had a lot of anguished nights. Yeah. I was in New Orleans wondering what was happening to me. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know, it, it it wasn't going to it wouldn't have worked had they tried to force it. Um and and if he had just cut me off forever, then maybe I never would have come to my senses and wanted to come back. Right. Right. You know, so I think he he left he left the door ajar. I mean, it was obvious I wouldn't be able to stay there, but he didn't tell me. You know, he in fact he told me they loved me. Yeah, uh, and it, and it was a tether. It was a long tether, but it was a tether. I think that's the the thing that parents and even even maybe more to to much more of a degree that coaches deal with is they want the kid because I know like if I have a football player that he has a max of four years in our high school program. And he's got to get it figured out in a hurry because if he doesn't, then he's going to be gone and my influence on him is going to be limited. You know, so it's like I want to try to get him fixed right now. So selfishly, so he can play for us on Friday nights, but also because I want him to be, you know, I want I, I, I see where the road that he's where he's going and I, and I see what 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 is at the end of that that path, even though he can't. So I guess talk more about that, about having to, it has to be that person's decision and how to handle that when you are, when you do feel, you know, a pressure, even as parents, you know, like as you're getting kind of close to that time when the kid's going to leave, like, how do you, how do you handle that and balance that um, of not smothering them, but also giving them that tether, like you mentioned? Well, you know, I think you have to, as they're maturing, you have to, you can't deal with them like a child anymore. That was dad's first reaction. The first time we, we got caught, we'd been drinking down there. And I think I was about 15 at the time, me and my buddies and, and so, you know, he just, he, he lined us all up on the back of a car and whipped us with a belt. You know, we're 15, 16, 17 years old. But I mean, that's all he knew. Like that was the way he had dealt with things before. But in that moment, I think he realized that that sort of, that thing wasn't going to work anymore. Because yeah. now I'm getting to a point where the, the things in my life, I mean, I'm starting to become old enough to do them. Doesn't mean I'm old enough to really understand the consequences but I'm capable of doing it. And so, you know, I have flexibility and freedom. And first you try to take the car away and cut people off, but it's not going to work. You're always going to find that other influence is going to be there. And so I, I think you have to try to grow with them as they grow. 
you know, and, and look, the, the years you guys are influencing these kids is when they're becoming aware of becoming adults and, and they are making those decisions. A lot of them come out of tough home situations. And so they've gotten there even quicker. But I tell you, to coaches, I, I would definitely say, you guys, I didn't tell this in the story, but when I was in New Orleans, and I had this big, bad altercation that was too long to talk about today, but the guy almost killed me. And I was messing around with his wife, so I probably deserved it. But there were some police officers there when this whole thing came to a head one morning. And eventually everybody left, but one police officer stayed behind. And he saw that I was I was really like having a, a moment, you know, because I'm bleeding and broken and, you know, just kind of sitting on the curb, like what happens next? And so he sat down next to me and he took a few minutes. And obviously he was a believer because we talked about, we talked about faith. And he asked me a lot of questions and he, ultimately he had me just boogling and crying. And really thinking about home. And I don't know his name. Uh, I can't wait to find him in heaven one day to, to tell him that that conversation, what it did for my life. But I love speaking to law enforcement or, or jailers or military because I always say, and I would say the same with coaches, you guys are in positions to be around people when they have some of their toughest and worst moments. And those are the opportunities that one conversation may make all the difference. And, and it may not even seem that heavy at the time. I don't know when he left there that day, whether he knew he had the impact on me or he had or not. But ultimately, it was that conversation that spurred me to get back on the road and get back home and get my life straightened out. So I've always appreciated that. And I've always thought about people that that have the capacity to influence. And the Bible talks about it as seizing the opportunity. And so uh, I would just encourage any coach, you know, because I know that you you guys have to you know, work with kids that have a lot of tough situations going on. But you may be the one same thing that that kid has. Yeah. The one thing to point them to a good direction instead of something bad and to help prep them, you know, because I always think about these kids that become really successful in sports. And I know it's such a sliver of everybody that competes, but I think about so much money that would be dumped onto a, you know, 20 year old, 20, 21, 22 year old kid that still hasn't really understood things. If you didn't have some basis for that, then that could send you sprawling into a terrible life. So yeah, absolutely. it's up to people along the way to have an impact. You know? Yeah. So I'm curious when you were, you know, in New Orleans and and kind of living the, like, the prodigal son life, did you find yourself or maybe looking back on it, were you making a lot of excuses for yourself and for your behavior? Like, were you blaming things on, well, on your, on your family or on your upbringing? Oh yeah, sure. You know, I mean, you're never, you can never own the, the truth. Right. In the mirror, it's, it's always got to be somebody else's fault, right? right. Or, or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, I got caught up in that just like most people do. It's easy to make excuses instead of just saying, I'm a terrible person. Uh, I remember when I was in high school and kind of at the worst of it with the double secret life going. And one of my buddies that I ran around with, he was a huge child, huge big guy. I mean, like, he's the biggest guy in school. And so, like I was telling you everybody, I'm a little guy. And we could get into some scraps. And so I was one of those guys smart enough to, to make sure I befriended the biggest guy in school. And so he played football and he was, you know, a defensive tackle. And so we'd get into some scraps, but I'd always just stand back and let Big Bubba, you know, step in and, and do his do his business. And his mom called my mom and, and had a heart-to-heart with her. She said, you know, I just don't think they're good together. And I really think that Alan is a bad influence on Bubba. And so mom told me this. Of course, I'm still – 
thinking I'm living a secret life, you know, but they're starting to figure things out. But I remember being so offended that she thought I was the bad influence. I mean, I was like, I mean, I've still got the fake church thing going on. At least I got that. He doesn't even have that. But I mean, think about how arrogant that is. (laughs) Terrible. And yet I'm offended because she thinks that her son was better than than me. And and we were both rotten to the core. And so, but I I think that's what happens, Ty. We we get, we think of ourselves more highly than we are. Yeah. And you can be young and do that, or you can be older and do that. Yeah. uh, that was one of the things dad taught us from early on. And then, you know, obviously it stuck with me as an adult. He said, don't let other people, you know, or don't, don't you tell other people how good you are. You let them say it, but you don't right. say it. And that was a great lesson. for me. So now being, you know, in position of where you're, you're, you're leading a congregation and you're in the, you're in positions of influences, you know, they're obviously a church, you know, as, as a parent and just different positions of leadership. Um, how important has it been for your own credibility uh, to own your past and own your 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 hangups, your mistakes? How important has that been? You know, it's 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 crucial. Uh, people aren't gonna people aren't gonna open up to you uh, about where they are if they don't feel like you can connect with them. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I've been open all my years of ministry about my life. I've told my story so many times and testimony. Lisa and I have done the same thing. We've written books now where we tell everything we ever did. Uh, we were doing Sean Hannity's radio show and uh, we were in, in New York and, you know, Sean's a friend of the family. And so he, he was like, man, I, I read your book, or at least part of it. And he said, I mean, there's like some terrible stuff in there. Why would you want to talk about this? Why would you want to tell this? I mean, people love your family. People love the Robertsons. Why would you say all this stuff? And I said, well, Sean, we wrote it all down because we want to give people hope because there's a lot of people that were where we were and they can't see a way out. We want to let them know that you can get through this. You can get through adversity. You really can. And he, I'll never forget. He's, he was just, he was looking at us, but it's like, he could not understand it. The idea of why you'd want to be open and help somebody. And he said, well, there's things I haven't even told my wife and I never will. And Lisa looked at him and she said, I'm glad I'm not married to you, Sean Hannity, you know, (laughs) and everybody on this, all of his staff and everybody started laughing, but it's true. Most people think if you knew what I've ever done or you knew some of the bad things about me, then you wouldn't love me and respect me. And instead, what Lisa and I have found is the exact opposite. We go somewhere and we tell our story. She talks about abortion because she had one as a teenager or different things like this. And they say the same thing every time. We're in a book line or whatever. We're signing books and they're like, oh, you're so courageous. I respect you so much for being able to be so honest about your life. I wish I could do that. And I'm always like, you can do that because yeah. you're God's victories, not ours. So don't be stingy with them, you know? Right. And so, you know, I think openness then begets openness. And so in all my years of ministry, like I told you, my mindset was I, I viewed ministry like a prodigal. Like, man, I was welcomed when I was unworthy. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to consider myself worthy. I'm going to just consider myself as unworthy and go from See, I think we've also identified another area where coaches and and preachers are similar because, um, and you can tell me whether you agree with this or not. And but you know, I remember being a kid growing up in church. Like the preacher, in in my mind, never did anything wrong, right? And and they were very uh, seemed to be buttoned up and um, robotic. And that sounds very negative, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but uh, almost you know, kind of like how you thought of your teachers, like. 
you just think your teacher just climbs in the closet and they live at the school and they, you know, come out and teach every day. And same with football coaches. Like you don't really necessarily view them as real people, but just kind of like they live where you interact with them and they don't really have, you know, complex lives and haven't made mistakes. But then I think now is we're in an era where you can't be like that anymore as a preacher, as a teacher, uh, as a football coach. Um, maybe I don't tell that my kids everything I've ever done in my life, but I do have to be willing to show some scars if I want to get beyond the service with that. And that, I guess, have you seen that in ministry uh, as well? Yeah. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of preachers and pastors, you know, I think they don't trust um, the church and trust their leaders enough to be transparent. You know, they're yeah. just, you know, that's a lot of it too. I think a lot, because I've obviously through the years, now that I don't really do a full time anymore, uh, I've had so many opportunities to talk with pastors and their wives and they've had terrible things that they just felt like they had to go through alone. So it's really kind of sad because they almost feel like they have to be that robotic thing you mentioned, yeah. even though inside they may be just really hurting or their wife may be, or their family may be. And, uh, you know, I told my kids early on, I said, look, I chose to be a preacher. You didn't get to make that choice, but I want you to serve God because you love him, not because I work at the church. And I said, if I worked at the paper mill, I would expect the same of you because that's how important it is to me. And so I want them to know, I mean, and it was still tough because it is, I mean, you're kind of in that fishbowl uh, inside that setting. And so I think some of that has, you know, if, if we could, would allow more of them to be open, maybe would encourage them to be more open. And I wish they would, because if, when you read the Bible, I mean, it is full of flawed heroes. I mean, everybody in it was messing up a lot, except for one. And so I, I think that's the way we should approach it. And I think that's the way with anybody. And you're right. I mean, you want people to respect you. Uh, and to do that, you know, you have to do things that are respectable. And so, you, you know, you may not tell everybody everything, but I always say that there's an opportunity where you're going to be in a situation where the story of you overcoming adversity is going to help someone else overcome whatever they're dealing with. And if you're willing to share that, it doesn't have to be a preacher to do that. It can be on a football field. It can be, you know, like I said, on a city street in New Orleans. But when the opportunity comes, be that person. Well, I, I uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's great advice. And, and uh, I, that's a shift that I've seen. I, I feel like I'm kind of like uh, one of the, I guess the blessings of, of sort of being, my age is I think I was kind of at the very end, the tail end of like some of the old school coaches where, you know, they, they are, you kind of, you do, you basically, you do what they tell you to do and that's it. And that's their, their, their word is, is law and that sort of thing. And, and, and that's kind of the, the style of coach that I started out being. And as I, I've realized that that really is, is maybe effective to a point, but it, but it's, it's, it's rapidly growing less and less effective by the year uh, with kids and that, that you really have to be, you know, there, there's no better BS that maybe I shouldn't have said that, but, but bull crap detector uh, than, than kids. And, uh, and, and, and so you have to be real with them. And I think that's just people in general that, you know, if you're in a position of leadership, they want to see you be authentic and real and, and open and honest uh, and I think when you're, when everybody, you start with that, like we're all going to be open and honest with each other, then, then things can really, really take off for whether you're a church, whether you're a football team, uh, organization, whatever. Yeah. Cause people have to buy into it. 
I mean, your, your kids, your players have to buy into what you're trying to, to do with them. And I think you could make the same application. I mean, in my setting, people have to buy in that this is real, that, that we're not just coming up here to look good to one another and do some platitudes every week and then go back out and do whatever we're going to do. I mean, we have to buy in that this really is our life. and This is really what we need to do to succeed. And again, I think there's some similarities in our professions, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. So, yeah, maybe uh, maybe if you get bored doing what you're doing, you can come over here to Texarkana and, and, and coach up some football uh, for a season or two. I mean, that would be fun. I, yeah. I would actually love being around that, you know, because I yeah. didn't play a lot past the younger levels. It, well, the lady they've been trying to get me into politics. I was like, look, I, I, don't, I think I don't want to have anything to do with politics. I would rather influence politicians be there you go. That's kind of where I'm looking at. Well, let's 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 jump into that now. So you've mentioned already, you know, you wrapped up uh, Duck Dynasty in 2017. Uh, I remember, uh, my, you know, my brother uh, Grant. You we mentioned him already working for uh, working for Buck Commander, and him kind of telling me when that first started happening was that was first going to come out, and you know, we were talking on the phone, and he was kind of telling me that that was that was going to happen. I, oh, okay, cool, you know. Um, and then for it to blow up the way that it did, and and now that for that wave to kind of to, to be over, you know, describe how that show changed the lives of your family and and what life looks for you now looks like for you now. Well, since we threw Grant out of the bus, I guess I'll <laughs> say something good about him now. You know, uh, Lisa and I did Grant Caitlin's uh, yeah, and yep. their way, and so they're very special to us, obviously. And uh, we just had dinner with them recently. And I have to say that when the when the show kicked off and was going gangbusters, we quickly had a problem in the business because now all of a sudden we're building more duck calls than we've ever built because they're buying duck calls because of the show, not necessarily because of hunting. Right. And everybody that can do the duck calls is on the show. So Grant, who who does Buck Commander, kind of got stuck there for a couple of years with really doing Buck Commander and Duck Commander and Duck Commander in this crazy time. And so. Uh, Lisa and I left our full-time job at the church to go back to work for the business. And so we were right there with Grant during that period of time. And it was really hard on the business side. And But it was two of the most rewarding years of my life. One is because of our relationship that, that was grew at that time with Grant and I. But then also just watching him grow, you know, in terms of running the business was, was really great. And, uh, it was, and you talk about adversity. I mean, that was so hard. Because we felt like we were drinking out of a fire hose. Absolutely. But at the same time, it was so rewarding because we pulled it off. You know, we we, we right. managed to keep everything intact. So when that when that ended, after it only took a couple of years. And once I got on the show, then all of a sudden people were asking me to come speak and you know us to write books. And so Lisa and I have written three books together. I've done a couple of other on my own and one with Dad. And you know, those were all great projects. And you kind of just get them through the system, and then you go into the next thing. And it's kind of one of those things where you almost have to look back and see what all happened during this period of time because it was just crazy. So when the show ended, um, it didn't take long. We were probably, we, Dad was in a movie called Torchbearer. And my cousin, Zach, and I started a production company. And so this movie was produced. And we thought out of that, because we thought it was going to get like a national release. It's a documentary, Amazon Prime made. But anyway, it was really good. And so Zach and I thought, we're going to start this production company because we'll like film some videos about it, maybe do some homeschool curriculum. And that was kind of our idea. But of course, the you know Trump deal just kind of took all the air out of that. So it was just like over. So the company just kind of sat there 
uh, for a couple of years. And then two years ago, uh, well, it's three, almost three now, uh, we were approached by a CRTV, which is Conservative Review TV. And they were doing, they were really building their digital platform. And because, uh, you know, that's where everything's kind of headed that way. Right. And so they wanted dad to do a show. They had Mark Levin and some, and uh, ultimately now they have Glenn Beck. But they have a lot of people, you know, conservative voices, but they didn't really have anybody sort of in the, in the spiritual religious sphere like dad is. I mean, he's, he talks politics, but at the same time, he's really more of a Bible guy. He's kind of a prophetic type person when he's talking about anything. And so they approached us about a show. And uh, so we started doing it. It's called In the Woods with Phil. And um, it's just like a vlog format. We're still doing it. We're in our last year of our contract. This will be our third year for the show. And it's basically just his take on the world. And we usually film it down on the property or sometimes in his camo chair or whatever, you know. And uh, it's it's he loves it. You know, he films three or four episodes a week. And they're only like seven to 12 minutes long. So they're pretty short. And and we produce it. And so that kind of got us into the production business. And we hired some guys. And, you know, we were going to just let, you know, a production company do it. And thought, well, we'll just start our own. And we did. And so we hired some guys. They're great guys. And since that time, now we have a podcast called Unashamed uh, with me, Jason. I host it. And then Jason Dad are kind of the talent. But my company produces it. Uh, we do Sadie's podcast. We do one called The Duck Call Room that's uh, a Duck Commander. And size on it. It's great. It's a lot of fun. And so, you know, it's just kind of now we're just kind of growing in our podcast business. And so ultimately, uh, we're hoping to have, you know, several podcasts that we produce and manage and see where we go. You know, and we've had a great time. Blaze TV is who we're with now because they merged with, with uh, CRTV. And, uh, and they're great. They've been super. But they're more, you know, conservative political stuff. But then we, you know, we, we bring Bible to the platform, which is a lot right. of and so our, our podcast is pretty much just a, I call it a Robertson style Bible study. And um, yeah. and it's been a lot of fun. Well, I love the Unashamed uh, podcast. And I just, I think you do a great job of managing all of the personalities and dynamics in that room because they're not easy, right? I mean, your dad, Jace getting off on a tangent um, yeah. and, and just things kind of, you know, meandering around and, but you know, you're able to bring it back to kind of the focus of the, of, of the topic. Uh, and I thought what, you know, one of the coolest things on that episode that I was, you know, hope, hope we could talk about for a little bit was you actually discovered, you guys actually discovered that you had another family member out there and this was like live on the, or not on the, but, but as you were making this podcast, this was happening. Oh, so yeah. tell, tell us a little bit about that so people guys can go check that out who haven't already. Yeah, so this would have been this would have been last year about this time. Yeah. Because we met, we met Phyllis the first time on February 21st, which was this just this last week. And um yeah, we you know, we got this crazy letter and literally we were talking about it, you know, Jason and I were talking about it as we were about to record a podcast and you know, I wasn't sure because we get a lot of people said they're related to us. You know, like I've seen more DNA things that go back. You know, we we crossed lines 164 years ago, you know. Yeah. And so I get a lot of that. So I thought that's what it was at first. And then I just kind of once I started reading it more clearly, I said, this this woman thinks that she's my sister, or, you know, dad's daughter. And so it was an interesting couple of weeks to figure things out until we finally got to the point of doing a DNA test. And it turns out she's our sister. And uh, this came from that period of time I mentioned, you know, that dark time with him. And uh, the the year she was born, uh, she was born in October of 1975. And so dad became a Christian 
somewhere in that late summer of that same year. So obviously she was conceived back during the year before. And, and, and like I said, mom and dad were split up. And so the way she put it on the podcast, because we had her and Tony, her husband on the podcast, and that we basically revealed to the world that we had a sister on the podcast. Right. And she, um, she said, I love the fact that the year I was born, that my dad was reborn you know, which was a great way to look at it. And and it's really been an amazing ride. I mean, now we just passed a year. Um, she is a uh, dialysis nurse and she was working and living in Springfield, Missouri. They had been missionaries for five years, which is why they weren't very aware of Doug Dynasty because the whole time the show was running, they were down there in another country. And so they didn't know much about the show. And of course she would never know that that would wind up being her family. Right. But uh, she moved, they moved down in June. And uh, so now they live next door to mom and dad and she's just soaking up as much as she can. She, she duck hunted this year for the first time, loves it, loves to be outdoors, loves to fish. And, uh, and it's funny watching dad with her because, you know, he, he raised four boys and, you know, he's, he's not compassionate and we were never huggy and lovey. And, you know, he was a little bit more with Jeff because Jeff's the youngest. So Jeff would kind of hug on him and stuff, but we just, you know, we never did. And, and yet with her, I can tell he's making an effort to to be something different, and uh, it's, I've kind of marveled at it. It's, it's been kind yeah. of kind of amazing to watch. And he keeps saying, "I guess, I guess, you know, having a daughter now, she's mellowing me." But I think he was already mellow. He just needed an opportunity, you know. Yeah, so yeah. It's really been cool to watch. He, he's he, he's really made a big effort, you know, for her to be a part of his life. And Lisa and I are super close with, with Tony and Phyllis, and so. They're usually at our house at least one or two nights a week. And, um, you know, they come up and we have dinner. And of course, I'll stop out there. And so it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, just the, just the discovery, you know, and, and, you know, like anything else, it's also, you know, you're trying to figure everybody out. She has two sons. They're both married. I got to do one of their weddings this year. So oh, wow. uh, it's been it's been pretty amazing. Pretty touching. Yeah, it really is a great story. And so if you haven't, uh, guys, if you haven't, if you're unfamiliar with Unashamed, then, then actually you're probably in the minority because I, I looked uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago, but it was, you're going to have to forgive me because I don't know exactly where it is on the charts, but I know it's 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 very high up there in the charts. Do you know where it is exactly as far as? No, what? I haven't looked lately, but it, it's, it has been as high as is in the top 15 podcasts. In the, yeah. In the, I mean, the, what with the big boys and it's usually fluctuating somewhere in the, you know, in the top hundred, but you yeah. know, it, it, and it's been very humbling for us to have because you know, they just asked us, would we do something and, and do something biblically on their platform? So we really never thought about it, just doing what it's done. And there's no other, you know, religious or spiritual podcast, you know, anywhere in the top hundreds of podcasts. I mean, in the spiritual category, you'll see, you know, there's some guys that do some some good category. But so it's been very humbling for us to have that opportunity. And it's, it's been incredible, you know, because so many people now are being touched by it. I mean, I just, we, I can't even keep up anymore. I have a whole team of people now that just answer emails about life change and about, you know, my marriage was saved. We watch this podcast. This is happening every Sunday. Uh, this last Sunday, I preached at our church and I met at least six families that were there from Minnesota to Florida to Pennsylvania. I mean, they just come there every week. It's amazing. 
Yeah, it's a it, it's a great podcast and, and one that I would highly recommend. And I'm a and I'm a person that's always I I'll, I've, I've talked about it on this this podcast a lot. I, I always listen to podcasts and 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 am a, am a, am a fan for sure uh, of of that one. Well, let's let's talk some football now. Okay, uh, let's get down let's get down to business here. You got your Joe Burrow hat on. Uh, uh, lifetime yeah, <laughs> lifetime LSU fan. I have a. Uh, we talked about this before we started recording here. Uh, I have have one of my defensive ends now is there as a freshman, uh, early enrollee. So I'm I have a little bit of a dog in the hunt now when it comes to LSU Tigers. So a very forgettable year in 2020. So let's yeah. talk about now. What do the Tigers got to do this this next season to get things turned around down there? And back? Well, I think we're I think we're going to be really good. One is we got back from 2020, and like you said, it was so crazy because kids could not play or play. They can come back. But, I, you know, we were talking about kids being so young, and yet they're making these decisions, you know. And probably some of them probably should have stayed and played and, and didn't. But, you know, we've got almost everybody back. The whole offensive line came back. Uh, we had some surprises at the end of the year because Miles Brennan was having an awesome year early, and then he tore a uh, abdominal muscle. And so then you had these, like, two freshmen kind of trying to compete, and the season was just, you know, wasn't, wasn't great. But this uh, Brad Johnson's son, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, I mean, man, they beat Florida. And, and, and I mean, he looks like the real deal. So I think it will be really interesting at quarterback next year because Brennan is healthy and comes back. You know, at the SEC level, I mean, you've got to have quality quarterback play to compete. When you're playing Alabama and you're playing these guys, you know, Florida year in and year out, you, you've got to have that at a high level. So usually if a team is transitioning at quarterback, they usually don't do that well. Uh, now Alabama seems to just reload every year. I mean, you know, right. they got all these NFL players, but but that, but we're going to be good next year. The biggest question mark LSU fans has: What's the defense going to look like? Because last year we were terrible, and we had a lot of really good athletes on the field. So, I'm not sure if that was just a failed experiment because we had a new coach and it just didn't work out. Yeah, uh, some insiders down there in Baton Rouge tell me that somebody at the golf course said that Coach Fellini. Uh, had 37 rounds of golf uh, last summer, you know, when when you, when you they did start back. So I wonder how you could be on the golf course that much and yeah. build a yeah. know, caliber, strong caliber. So I don't know if that's even true, but that's what I heard. You know, yeah. That's what my yeah. yeah. Well, where are you on? I remember uh, being at a wedding and this was, I think, right when um, this was a way high on him and, and, uh, we, my wife and I came in, came to Oxford right after he left Ole Miss. And yeah. so we had, a, I had plenty of, of coach O firsthand coach O stories and stuff. And I've yeah. always been a fan. Um, yeah. and, and so then of course, and, and being a D line guy and him being a D line guy, I wanted to see him do well. So where are you on coach O? Are you still on the coach O train? I, you know, I am. And, and I, I, my personal, I'm so glad they won, had such a great 2019 because, that that put so much of that to rest because it was right. funny. My son-in-law was like so disappointed because he wanted the guy that went to Texas that they just right. got Herman. rid of. Yeah, Tom yeah a, he's the young hot guy, and there was some other guy too, you know. And, and they kept talking about the guy was at Florida, the guys A and M now, and so everybody was like, "Oh, these are the guys." And you know, I felt like Coach O. He's always been a great recruiter. He knows football, but he went through a bad period in his life, and he'll tell you that today. I mean, he like when he was at Ole Miss and. Until he got out to USC, I mean, he was having a lot of personal struggles and he was heavy into alcohol and he had a lot of problems. And so I think his newfound commitment to football came from his also life. 
and yeah. he talks about it some, you know, when he's in the right setting. And so because of that, a guy like me, remember, I'm a, I'm a comeback kid. I'm a prodigal son guy. So I was thrilled that he was there. And his first press conference that he was in LSU, uh, I, I loved his open line. He said, I'm the first coach at LSU that doesn't have an accent. Of course, he says that uh, thick <laughs> Cajun growl. And yeah. what what and, and so it, that inspired me right off the bat because I'm a Louisiana kid, you know. I spent my whole life in Louisiana, yeah. and so to see a Louisiana guy, you know, get to be the head coach, and so you know, it, at first you weren't sure because he's a new guy, but you know, I think once he put the pieces together and they had the year they had, so I most of the LSU fans in 2020. I mean, of course, COVID kind of messed it up for everybody, but at the same time, I was still in the glow, man. I mean, there was. Even if they had had a loser, I was glad they rallied at the end and didn't have a loser yeah. season. But I was like, I'm still glowing from from that right. masterpiece, you know, from last right. year. Now next year, I'll be disappointed if we yeah. don't do pretty well because I think the schedule lines up pretty good for us. If we compete, uh, of course, you know, you got to beat Alabama. That's always the challenge. But we did it two years ago, so I think we, you know, yeah. I think we're to, to possibly do it. I hate that we missed that Texas LSU uh, in Tiger Stadium matchup because I went to the one in Austin, right. Right. Yeah. And I was there and uh, I was so looking forward to it because I got I have a lot of friends that are Texas fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we were ready to welcome them in last year. So yeah, I was really I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that there's there's not another uh, or a better fit for Coach O in America than 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 LSU. I mean, he, he just wouldn't fit in it, you know, at. at Boston College or, or even at USC where he was, I know, wanting to, wanting to get the job there. I, I think, you know, his background, his passion for the university and for the state of Louisiana, I mean, I think that's that's um, that's one of those things. And, and all, everywhere he goes, the kids love him, right? Yeah. I mean, they're ready to, to run through a brick wall for him. So Historically, he's been a great recruiter wherever he's been, and he's right. certainly the same as at LSU. I wish we could hold more guys, you know, for whatever reason, Coach Saban at Alabama, holds over, you know, third-year guys to play their senior year more than anybody else. And I realize, you know, they're very successful, maybe the reason why. But, you know, that really – I think that's allowed them to never have a step-off. I mean, they just don't yeah. seem to have it. I mean, the 19 was the – what they lost three games. That's probably the most they've lost in the last 10 years, you know, in one season. So, I mean, he's incredible. I mean, and it's funny because the LSU, we still love him because he turned our program around. Right. You know, even though a lot of people hate him because he left, but right. I never did. I mean, look, he had an opportunity to go to the next level. It didn't work out. I hate the way – I still wish he'd be at LSU doing what he's doing at Alabama. But I love Coach O. So. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about a team that we have in common. We already mentioned this earlier in the, in the, in the uh, conversation here, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. All right, so um, the Cowboys don't have a GM, but we're going to pretend that you are the GM for a moment. <laughs> What 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 do we what do you do with Dak? Well, you know, I don't know. I, you know, it's funny because I feel like I'm back on where I was with Romo. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is like a whole redo. Yeah, <laughs> because I loved Romo. You yeah. know, because he was talented and he's charming right. and he, he he kind of fits the mode of the Dallas Cowboy quarterback. But then I couldn't stand it because he didn't seem to be able to come through right. in the big game. And yeah, so, the fumbled extra yeah. point hold against Seattle. Oh, the whole deal, you know. And it's funny, even now he's a great he's a great broadcaster. But right. it, it, I, I felt like I went through that the whole era, Romo era. Uh, the way I say it is that I I was a heavy Romosexual, and then I became <laughs> a severe Romophobe. 
40. <laughs> yeah. So I made the full transition. But anyway, so so uh, I, I'm starting to feel that way with Dak. Uh, you know, like, I'm like, I'm just not sure he's the guy that can just take the next level. And I, I liked him at Mississippi State. I mean, he, he of course, you know, we played him. And so I, I know how talented he is. Yeah. But I just don't know. I mean, they had that one year, you know, where they almost went to the championship game when they had that that catch, you know, that didn't wasn't a catch in Green Bay. And I thought that team maybe the one I thought and he, that may have been his freshman uh, rookie year or first year. I can't remember. Yeah. Remember? I, I, think, I think that was, maybe that was Romo's last year. Uh, I, yeah. I, I don't remember, but, but anyway, yeah. I, I just don't know. And so I, I'm like, I find myself doubting the long term, you know, yeah. and again, the NFL is, I, t- I talked about this. You see the NFL is even more, I mean, you saw what happened with, as soon as Tampa Bay gets Tom Brady and then puts a few people around him, they win the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, really is the quarterback one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I don't know. I even had this weird fantasy that maybe they could get Aaron Rodgers. You know, I, I don't know. I hadn't watched the sports news lately to know whether he's staying with Green Bay or whatever. But yeah, yeah. I just thought, man, what if you just brought him into – what if we just pulled a Tampa Bay in Dallas and brought a guy uh-huh. like that well, that's, I think that's what everybody's thinking. You know, the Rams bringing in Matthew Stafford, um, yeah. the Colts bringing in um, uh, Carson Wentz. You know, yeah. I, I thought that the deal that they offered him last summer that the Cowboys offered Dak was, was pretty fair. Um, uh, I think kind of where they screwed up was, was how they paid, uh, they paid Zeke yeah. and, and with all of his baggage. And, and now it's, there's, there's the pressure and they've paid other guys. Now there's the pressure to pay, Pay Dak, who's really been—I mean, he's been a a, a pro's pro, uh, right. the face of the franchise, and and never caused them any issues. So no, and and look, he's young. I mean, he may develop and be exactly what 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 you think he will be. And I and I and part of me really hopes he does, but then part of me says, you know, that's what I felt about Romo. They lured me in, and I had every year I left with disappointment. It got so bad for a while. Of course, the Saints. You know they they've been pretty you know watchable for the last few years. I mean from the right. Super Bowl now because of Breeze and, and, and all that. And so I found myself where I just didn't I, I didn't even want to watch Cowboy games because I was so disappointed in them. And I was looking forward more to Saints games. But I, I'm still a Cowboy fan because when they play, I always go to the Cowboys. Yeah. But just they've been hard to, to watch. <laughs> it's like they just can't get out of their own way. And it, there's a game there. It, there's a point every in every NFL season where, you know, uh, I'm 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 optimistic. Okay, this is you know they look good in the preseason. They got some young guys, and then there's always one soul crushing game that I'm I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with the. I'm not. I'm done with the Cowboys for this year. And inevitably, I end up crawling back, and they lure me back in, and I'll watch. And then they're I turn on the the, the game this year, and they're down to the, you know, the Washington football team at home and it's, you know, they're like, okay, no, never mind. I, I can't do that. I, they did that the same way. So this year started out with, you know, with all this social justice stuff and stuff was going on this summer. And so uh, when football season started, I just, you know, we got back into the flag thing and I just, so I just didn't watch the NFL for probably mm-hmm. course of the season. I just checked out of all of it and NBA same way, just, you know, kind of offended at a deep level at everything and allowed to put stuff on your jersey and all this stuff. But anyway, so I had a hard time, but then I, I tuned in. I was one Sunday, Lisa was gone, and 
I turn the TV on because, you know, I was amazed at how much time I got back behind the Sunday afternoons. I'm working on podcasts. I thought, man, maybe I need to just quit the NFL. So I turned it on and they were playing the Vikings in the second half of the game. Yeah. And they won that game. Mm-hmm. And I thought, huh, you know, and they've been terrible. You know, I, I kind of been keeping up with uh, what was going on, but I wasn't watching. So then I kind of started watching again. And then they kind of made that run, you know, they were looking right. better. And then they kind of got in the hunt. The whole, you know, league was so terrible, the NFC East. And so they got me back in. And I was just yeah. like, you. Yeah. And at the end, I was like, you suckers, you got me again. Got me again. <laughs> to just do it again at the got end. Got me again. Yeah, it's kind of like how I feel watching the Cowboys uh, is, is kind of how I feel about playing golf. I mean, I, it's like when I play golf, because I don't play as much as I used to now that I have kids and, and obviously with the schedule of a coach. But um, it's like I get to a point where I just paid 40 bucks to get pissed off. That's right. you know, like I just paid 40 bucks to get frustrated, and get mad at myself. That's right. That's right. The Cowboys, like, I just set aside three hours of my day that I can't get back to just to end up being mad. Right. And so, you know, you know. It's a lot of people are, you know, they always pile on Jerry Jones. But, you know, you know, when he first came, I mean, like at first, he, you know, he was offensive to me, too, because we love Coach Landry. And, you know, like those of us like my age, you know, we were there from the old solid days of just the rock known as the Cowboys. Well, he dumped all that out and that, you know, that ruffled some feathers. But then right. I mean, they won, what, two Super Bowls just right there, you know, together. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, it's like, so, you know, he knows how to do it. But it's just been so long now. So I, but I know they know, but it just seems like they've kind of been in this, stuck in this cycle of, you know, Jason Garrett was like that. He was like, he was the same last time with Romo. I yeah. liked Jason Garrett. I loved him as a player, as a backup. I mean, I, yeah. I loved him as a person, but it was just like we were just going to be mediocre. You know, how many eight, right. eight seasons did he have? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been in a bad cycle. And now people that used to make fun of me about because I get it a lot in Louisiana, you know. But now I'm just, I'm not, they won't even kick me anymore. They're just like, <laughs> yeah. <"Well>, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's, we'll, we'll close out with this. Um, give us your, your, your hottest, most controversial, maybe sports take that you have, like your opinion that, that would maybe ruffle some feathers with, with, with some people, you know, it could be something kind of petty or something like that. Hmm. You know, another thing that bothers me about sports now is just sort of the what's it seemed to happen, the corporate nature of it. Yeah. It, you know, it seemed, and I know it's probably always been there, but, you know, in the old days, it seemed like owners and their families, you, you knew who they were, and it was still just really about football. Right. And I don't know if it's just gotten so big now. Yeah. And it just feels like corporate, you know, yeah. and, and, and not in a good way in a bad way. And there's right. so much about the money. And of course you can never like, when I was a kid growing up watching sports, I'm a, I'm a huge Dodger fan, which I was finally thrilled. They finally got over the hump. So maybe there's some open cowboy, but you know, like when I was a kid, the same infield played for the Dodgers for all of my childhood. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were there for 10 years together and I just couldn't wait every year. You know, even though I could see a lot of games. And so same way when the Cowboys, I mean, I, it was Stallback and the same crew almost for their whole career. Right. And so I realized things happen. I know it's money. I know it's the game. I know all that. But at the same time, to me, they're just ruining it. In, yeah. Not in a good way. And what I hate is that because kids still have dreams about playing, 
but you'd like for them to play because they can be great, not just because they can be rich. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, yeah. And I think that's why you see such a, a, you know, most of the people in the South prefer college football. And I don't think that's necessarily the case on the, on the East coast, West coast, or up North, um, namely because their college football isn't as good. Uh, but, but I think you see a lot of people in the South are, are more rabid fans of college football for the reasons that you talked about, because although, you know, the, the, the cynical side of us could say, well, Hey, it's just as corporate or commercialized, or it's not as pure as it once was, but there is still at least a, some, some, uh, semblance of, of, you know, that purity there that you kind of talked about with high school football. Yeah. And, and I think that's why I still enjoy that. When you, when you go to a high school game, you know, I still go to some Western Road games from time to time or OCS. And when I go and sit and watch, I mean, it's just kids who are playing because they, they, they love to play, you know, and they're out and it just, the spirit of it is a lot of fun and yeah. out all that other stuff. And so it's still at that purest level. College level is uh, still better than the pro level, but it's getting that way. And this thing about when they start paying players, when, you know, California, it seems like everything good and bad comes from California. When they start, when that gets started, they're going to ruin the college. Game. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's going to be, I don't know how they're going to handle that, but they say it'll take out all the bad stuff. And I was like, are you kidding me? Once you start that flow, I mean, I realize some of that happens, but once you just say it's okay, then, you know, there's no telling what's going to happen. How do you hold teams together when you got this guy over here, you know, yeah. making all the big bucks? And, right. You know, right. At, yeah. At 19, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's scary. So that all, all the more reason to, uh, to get into some high school football, which is why we're, uh, we're glad you joined us today. So Al, really great stuff. And, and again, I want to thank you so much for, for, for your wisdom and, and insight. And, and I know that the guys listening to this are going to be blessed for it. So thank you so much. Thanks once again to Al for taking some time to share with us today. He has a powerful story, and we, we really barely scratched the surface in our conversation. So if you'd like to hear more from Al, then check out alandlisarobertson.com. A link to that website can be found in today's show notes. You can also check out his podcast, Unashamed, and also follow Al on Twitter at BeardlessBro. I heard this quote one time, and, and I love it because I think it's so true, that we all love a good story but we don't want to be a part of one. And I think we all, you probably, you know, love hearing Al's story, but when it comes to living through things like that, none of us really want to do that. But the truth is we all go through different, different trials and different struggles. And I think the important thing to know is, is that your, your, your struggles are, are, are not unique, that there's someone out there who can relate. And that's the whole point of these, these series of episodes is to spotlight that and spotlight those people who have been able to, uh, come out the other side and and how they were able to do that and and hopefully better equip you to deal with your own struggles and uh, adverse situations, but also to help better equip you to deal with the struggles of others that you might encounter throughout your day. So anyway, if you liked what you heard today, make sure you give us a five-star rating, leave us a review. I always appreciate your feedback. And that's a great way for us to grow our show as well. Our quote of the day comes from the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And it goes like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
And with that, we will put a wrap on this episode of KYPD. Be sure to join us back next week for episode number 96 when we get back to talking football, defensive football, with a head coach in San Antonio. That one's going to be awesome. We'll have video available for that one as well. Uh, So be sure to subscribe now so you never miss an episode and join us back next week. Until then, hey, have a great week. Take care of each other. Put others before yourselves. And really, beyond that, what else is there to say? I guess all I can say is I'm Al Robertson. Keep your pads down.